the book of Acts, chapter 4. We will put a lot of the scriptures we cover today on the screen up here. We won't do this first one, but we will put a lot of them on the screen. Uh, I would still encourage you, if you can, to, to look at them in your Bible. Keep your nose in your Bible. So when I say look at this verse, look down if you have a Bible. But for those of you who don't have a Bible or you're holding a child or something, please feel free to look up at the screen. It's just always good to see it in your Bible and see it in context in in your Bible. The book of Acts here, I'm I'm preaching through the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is is essentially uh, the, the, the history of the early church after Jesus ascended to heaven. Jesus came, he died, he rose again to pay for sin. Jesus then ascended back to heaven. And the book of Acts then covers the next 35 years or so as the early Christians went out to to share the good news about Christ. This book of Acts, this is our story These are our ancestors. Uh, This is our genealogy here. Uh, And Christ is is our king. So this this is our story. We're now in Acts chapter 4. In just a second here, we'll be reading verses 1 through 22. Uh, Let's go go ahead and pray. Well, Father, we just look to you now in the name of Jesus Christ and ask for a move of your Holy Spirit upon your scriptures Lord, we do not want to be like the religious leaders in Jesus' day who searched the Scriptures thinking that in the Scriptures they had life, but they would not come to You, Jesus, in order to have life. So even as we open the Scriptures here today, Lord God, we don't want to stop at the Scriptures I pray, Father, by your Holy Spirit that we could move through the Scriptures and we could connect with the living, risen Jesus. And Father, that will only be by your Spirit that we are enabled to do it. I ask now, Father, that you would illumine our hearts by your Spirit and you would help us to move through these Scriptures and connect with the living, risen Christ. We pray it now in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, if you search through the Bible, you will see that God has made some amazing promises to His people. If you come to Christ in faith, you begin to follow Christ in in faith, well, well, God promises, for instance, that He will forgive you of all your sin. God promises that He will be with you. He will be with you always. God promises that He will love you. He will provide for you. He will care for you. Just astounding promises in the Bible that God makes to His people. But there is one thing that God promises to His people in the Bible that we tend to overlook at times because we don't want it. And what is it? Well, God promises to His people in the Bible that we will be persecuted in this life. It's all over the Bible. Here's just one example on the screen. 2 Timothy 3 verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will 
be persecuted. Christians in this fallen world will just be persecuted. That is the way it is. And any preacher on TV who tells you differently is lying to you. God has an enemy, Satan. And Satan hates God and God's people. The Bible says that Christians are children of the light, living among children of darkness. And the darkness at times just hates the light. That's the way it is. Now as Christians, Jesus teaches us to love our enemies as Jesus has loved us when we were His enemies. Jesus wants us to lay our lives down for our enemies in love. Jesus wants us to share the good news of Christ with our enemies in love. But Jesus never promised that we would be loved by our enemies in return. On the contrary, Jesus promised that we would be persecuted by some of our enemies. And it has happened in Christian history. Early Christians fed to the wild beasts in the Roman Colosseum. Christians in the Reformation burned at the stake. Still in our day today, sources say some fifty to 100,000 Christians are martyred every single year. It's just the way it is for Christians. Now, thankfully, we live in a a fairly safe country. Not many martyrdoms here, but persecution can take milder forms. You're ostracized or you're just cut off in some way for your faith. You're you're rejected maybe by by family members or or by your friends or co-workers. You're you're belittled. You're you're made fun of. You're mocked. Verbal jabs on social media. I have felt it and a lot of Christians have. It's just the way it is for Christians. Especially when we seek to advance the cause of Christ. When Christians just remain in their homes and in their church buildings, well, persecution might not be that intense, but go out and you, you, you seek to spread the name and the, and the fame of, of Christ, and that is when the persecution comes. And in the book of Acts here, the early Christians have been going out preaching the name of Christ. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John healed a crippled man at the temple. It drew this large crowd, and Peter then preached Christ to this crowd. We looked at it last Sunday. But but Peter's preaching there, in in Acts 4 now, Peter's preaching sparks a hostile reaction from a segment of the crowd. And the early Christians now taste their first persecution after the resurrection of Christ. Not a full-blown martyrdom yet, but the initial seeds of persecution here, which will now grow steadily worse in the book of Acts. Let's go ahead and read it. Acts 4.1. And as they, this is Peter and John preaching to the people in the temple, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested Peter and John and put them in custody until the next day, 
for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this, healing this crippled man? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel by th- that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders." which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name." So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Amen. We see in that passage there several milder forms of, of persecution. Kind of these initial seeds of persecution. We see three different types of persecution. First, imprisonment, and interrogation, and finally, intimidation. We'll just walk through those three things here today. The first form of persecution we see here is imprisonment. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, says in verse 1 that as Peter and John were speaking to this crowd at the temple, several groups of religious leaders now gathered around them. And Luke mentions here the temple priests and also the captain of the temple. Or or he would have been the commander of the Jewish soldiers guarding the temple. He was essentially the chief of police at the temple. And Luke also mentions the Sadducees who were a, 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 a primary rabbinic group at this time. And look at verse 2 again. They were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So these religious leaders just just provoked, perturbed, greatly uh, annoyed, for starters, just because Peter and John were were teaching. 
preaching there in the temple about Christ. And you know, Satan hates lots of things that Christians do. But Satan really hates it when Christians share Christ with other people. When we preach Christ or evangelize Christ, Satan hates it. Derek Thomas says this, he says, Satan hates zeal for Christ, no matter where or when it manifests itself. Courageous witness and fearless preaching were as threatening to the kingdom of darkness then as they are now. But these religious leaders here, (laughs) they're annoyed specifically, Luke says, because Peter and John were proclaiming to the people the resurrection of Christ. That really provoked them. And I'm sure that really provoked the Sadducees here. And why? Because the Sadducees back then did not believe in any resurrection at all. They did not believe that anybody would be resurrected from the dead. Uh, you, you kids, uh, maybe some of you adults, you can remember it like this. The Sadducees were, the, the Sadducees thought death would be very sad, you see, because they didn't think there was a resurrection. And they taught that to the Jewish people. So to have Peter and John in the temple saying that Jesus Christ had been raised, it was directly opposed to everything the Sadducees had taught the people. It was threatening their power, their position in Israel. And I think it was probably primarily the Sadducees who moved now to shut Peter and John up. And Luke says they arrested them. Verse 3, till the next day. And you know what? Ever since this time right here, Millions of other Christians have been imprisoned on account of Christ. John Wycliffe, William Tyndale, Helen Rosevere, Edith Stein, Richard Wormbrand, Adoniram Judson, John Bunyan, and on and on and on. And Peter and John were the very first in the New Testament era imprisoned on behalf of Christ. It, 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 it shouldn't have shocked Peter and John. It shouldn't shock us to see Christians imprisoned because Jesus promised that this would happen. Back in Luke 21, 12, when Jesus was still on this earth, He said this to Peter and John and His other early disciples. Jesus said, they will lay their hands on you. And they will persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my sake, for my name's sake. And and, and that right there with Peter and John, that is the first fulfillment of Christ's promise right there. And since then, it has happened to millions of other Christians imprisoned for Christ. But I want you to see something. I want you to notice what Luke says here. He says in verse 3 that they were imprisoned for preaching Christ. But in the very next verse, verse 4, look what he says. But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. 
Man, preaching Christ here in the temple, it, it led to persecution, but it also led to great growth for, for the early church. At the start of the book of Acts, there were only 120 Christians that we know of. On the day of Pentecost, then, Acts 2, 3,000 more were added. And here now, through the preaching of Peter and John, the number of Christian men alone grew to 5,000. So probably some 10,000 Christians in all now, counting women and children. Great persecution, but also great growth. I mentioned last week Rico Tice's book called Honest Evangelism. Rico Tice says that when you share Christ with other people, with non-Christians, he says you're crossing a pain line. You know, it's pretty easy and relatively painless to have good relationships with non-Christians until you start actually talking about Christ. And Rico Tice then says, now you're crossing the pain line and you can get one of two different things on the other side of that pain line. If you share Christ with somebody, you might find then some hostility, rejection, mocking, persecution, making fun of you. But Rico Tice says you also might find hunger. People ready, people willing to listen, ready to, to receive Christ. Hostility or hunger across that pain line. And you don't really know what you're going to get until you actually cross that line and start sharing Christ. And Peter and John, here in the book of Acts, they just crossed the pain line in a big way. And what did they find on the other side of that pain line sharing Christ? They found both hostility and hunger. They're imprisoned, yes. But there's also many, many thousands of people who are added to Christ. Both hostility and hunger. Persecution, yes, but also great growth. And you know what, when you look back over the past 2,000 years, looking at the history of the Christian church, Christianity has often grown because of persecution. Man, when, when people start persecuting or, may, or maybe martyring Christians, God just has this way of working through that persecution. To strengthen and spread his church. Tertullian was an early Christian leader. Second century. He said this. He said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You start persecuting. Start martyring Christians. And God will just work through that persecution and strengthen and spread His church. In the death of Christ, Satan thought he had won. And God just worked through His death to spread the kingdom to thousands. And in persecutions today, Satan feels he has won. And God just works through it to spread, the, to spread Christianity to thousands. We'll see it in Acts. God working 
through persecution to grow the church. So that's the first form of persecution we see here, imprisonment. The second is interrogation. Verse 5 says that on the next day, more religious leaders now came together with Annas, the high priest, Luke says, and also Caiaphas and and others. And, And this was probably now a meeting of the Sanhedrin. The 71-member Jewish council that, that really functioned as the Jewish Supreme Court. This is now, most likely, an official interrogation of Peter and John. This is a legal examination. Josephus, Jewish historian, he said that the Sanhedrin would interrogate people in a council room within the temple complex, all 71 men in a semicircle so all eyes could be on the accused. You look at verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst, probably in the middle of this semicircle, they then inquired Peter and John, by what power or by what name did you do this? Did did you heal this man standing right beside you here today? And and I I want you to just pause on that. It's really easy to read right over those, those verses. Some of you have maybe read over that a bunch of times. That would have been terrifying for Peter and John. You 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 put it into context. It was this same council, just six weeks earlier, that had interrogated Jesus with that exact same question. Tell us, Jesus, by what authority you do these things. And then they killed him. And six weeks later now, Peter and John are before the same council, hearing the exact same question, by what authority have you done this? It probably sparked some legitimate fear in Peter and John. Peter, six weeks earlier, ran away afraid before a servant girl. He has not been healed of all fear at this point. Probably had some legitimate fear, and yet, in spite of any fear they might have felt in their hearts, Peter preaches Christ. If you look at verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Peter, catch it, Peter now filled, Luke says, with the Holy Spirit. Now, I mentioned before that when a person first comes to to Christ 
in faith, you are then filled initially with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has now taken up permanent residence within you, but the Bible indicates that you can then be filled with the Spirit again and again. Filled with more, or filled, um, filled more with the Spirit. Over and over and over again, the Spirit empowering you at different times to do different things. And Peter, filled initially with the Spirit in Acts 2, he's now filled again with the Spirit and empowered now to preach Christ in a terrifying environment. And man, it is crazy when you think what Peter does here. I mean, my word, this guy does right here the very thing that got him imprisoned in the first place. He preached his way into prison. And now that he's interrogated, he just preaches Christ again. But that's what Jesus taught these disciples to do. You remember that verse we just read earlier from Luke 21 where Jesus told Peter and John and other early disciples that they'd be imprisoned? Well, here's the rest of what Jesus said. Luke 21, 12, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues, delivering you up to prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Peter and John know here, this, as Jesus said, is our opportunity to bear witness now about Christ before these rulers. Come hell or high water, come death, no matter what it is, this is our opportunity now to bear witness. And man, the Spirit gives them a mouth and wisdom here, just as Jesus said, which none of these adversaries can withstand or contradict. Jesus, back in Matthew 10, 19, Jesus had said this to His disciples, When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. And man, listen, the Holy Spirit has now filled and empowered the Apostle Peter. And the Holy Spirit is now speaking through the Apostle Peter. You men want to know who did this good deed here with this crippled man who has now been healed? Well, then let it be known to all of you and to all of Israel, it was the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth who healed this man. This Jesus whom you crucified, Peter says, but whom God has now raised. And Peter, man, he wastes no opportunity. He's this guy. He then adds a very quick word about Christ here. If you look at verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. (laughs) 
Peter, you prick him, he just bleeds Bibline. He's got Scripture all running through his blood, man. And he just quoted from Psalm 118, this stone, common-looking, boring-looking stone that would someday be rejected by the builders, but God would make it the cornerstone and would build His entire kingdom upon this stone. And Peter now, before the Sanhedrin, says that is Jesus. He's the stone that you builders rejected and God has raised him up. The one and only cornerstone upon which God is building his kingdom. And Peter says, there is salvation in no one else. No other name under heaven by which you can be saved. And that right there is just one of many places where the Bible says, That Jesus Christ is the only true path to heaven. You know, some people today believe many religions can lead you to heaven. All roads lead home. I remember seeing a snippet of the Oprah show. I think I only watched a snippet of the Oprah show. No offense to Oprah. Well, it just wasn't my favorite, but I did see Oprah in one place say, Jesus can't possibly be the only way to God. And, and no offense to Oprah. But the Bible's clear and unmistakable position is that Jesus is the only way to God only way to heaven. Jesus Himself said this, John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. Salvation in no other name. And Peter just let them know before the Sanhedrin And man, this preaching here for Peter in front of this Sanhedrin council, it has an impact on the Sanhedrin. If you look at verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Just astonished here. Shocked at this obvious boldness here from from Peter and John that the, the spirit breathed courage even though they were maybe quite fearful the sanhedrin is astonished here courage with Peter and John in the face of fear do you know that's what true courage is is pressing through your fears nelson mandela he said this he said courage is not the absence of fear but the triumph over fear. Or John Wayne's version, courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyway. That's true courage. It's boldness in the face of fear and the Holy Spirit can empower Christians with great courage to press through their fears. Great great fear in your heart maybe and yet emboldened by the Spirit at the very moment to stand. To stand maybe in front of powerful civil authorities like like this right here. There was a man, Peter Cartwright, 1800's Methodist preacher. 
He was told one Sunday morning before he preached that President Andrew Jackson was in the crowd. And Cartwright was warned not to say anything that would offend the president. He put yourself in his shoes. That was probably a fairly fearful situation for Cartwright. And he stood up to preach and he said, I understand President Andrew Jackson is here today. I have been requested to be guarded in my remarks. Andrew Jackson will go to hell if he doesn't repent. And the Sanhedrin... Oh, sorry. Another, another point to this. After the service, President Jackson came up to Cartwright. And he said, Sir... If I had a regiment of men like you, I could whip the world. And he recognized the boldness, the Holy Spirit boldness of a man in the face of fear. That's courage. And the Sanhedrin now sees this Holy Spirit courage, this boldness in Peter and John. And verse 13 says that they are astonished, shocked, because they perceive that Peter and John are uneducated common men. An uneducated meaning there that, that, that they, they, they simply had not been trained in rabbinic ways of, of arguing. That was, that was obvious to the Sanhedrin. Common men. They were fishermen. <laughs> they were fishermen before the, the Sanhedrin. Not trained for this bold public speaking and yet great boldness here. And Luke says the Sanhedrin recognized that Peter and John had been with Jesus. <laughs> That's what three years of being, living with Jesus will do to a person. Three years these guys had been with Jesus, listening to Jesus, watching Jesus. These men had been discipled by Jesus. And, and Jesus now empowering them through the Spirit and their bowl before the Sanhedrin there. And man, you just, you just stop and and think about that. Do you, do you know those are the types of people that God still uses today to do the work of the kingdom? Ordinary, common men, women, and children. Maybe not skilled in, in public speaking. Some of you are terrified of public speaking. Maybe, maybe no ministerial degree of, of, of any sort. But they've been discipled by Christ. They've been with Christ every day, with Him in His Word, with, with Him in, in prayer. Over the years, they've been shaped by Christ. And God then gives them an open door, and Jesus emboldens them to speak and works through them for, for His glory. And why not you? Why not you? Why not you? The Sanhedrin. Man, I think freaked out by this boldness a little bit. This wisdom that they've shown here in front of this council. So Peter and John, man, they've now been in prison. They've been interrogated. And one final form of persecution here, intimidation. The Sanhedrin. You've got to figure out what to do now. So they command Peter and John probably also have this newly healed man leave the room. And, and the council now kind of confers here, huddles up together, and, and they say there in verse 16, what do we do with these men? 
It's evident to all that a a notable miracle has been performed. We can't deny it. The guy just walked out of the room. We can't deny the miracle. But, verse 17, in order that this thing, this Jesus mania, might spread no further among the people, let's warn Peter and John. So they call them back in the room and charge them, verse 18 says, command them not to speak at all anymore in the name of Jesus. But look at verse 19. But Peter and John answered, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. We must obey God over man. And God has commanded us to preach Christ. Therefore, we cannot be silent. You know, on most occasions, many occasions, the Bible would instruct Christians to obey civil authorities, to be law-abiding citizens, until that is, the civil authorities tell us to do something contrary to the Word of God. And Christians must then obey God over man. The famous statement, Martin Luther at the Diet of Worms threatened, commanded by civil authorities in the room to renounce his writings. Essentially commanded to renounce the Gospel. The true message of salvation by faith alone in Christ. And Luther said this, My conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Amen. For Christians like Peter and John right here, or for Christians today here in this country, or in other countries... Sharing Christ with others is something God has commanded us to do. To preach Christ to others. To evangelize Christ to others. And if and when civil authorities tell us to stop sharing Christ with others, stop preaching, stop evangelism, we must obey God over man. We cannot be silent. Here we stand. God help us. So many, many of our Christian brothers and sisters in foreign countries right now are disobeying civil authorities to share the name of Christ with those who don't yet know Him. Obeying God over man. So what does the Sanhedrin do? He can't punish them. And it's crazy when you think about it. There's a newly healed guy that keeps walking in and out of the room, but the Sanhedrin, so hard in their hearts, can't submit to Christ and is just trying to figure out a way to shut up Peter and John. So what do they do? If they punish Peter and John, the people are going to go crazy. But they don't want to just let him go keep doing what they're doing. So look at verse 21. When they had further threatened them. They let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. You can read over that really quickly. Threaten them. What is that? 
was probably threats of punishment, most likely. You remember what we did to Christ your leader six weeks ago? You keep preaching in the name of Christ, you will be beaten, you will be stoned, you will be beheaded, you will be killed. Threatened in an effort to shut them up. And Peter and John, man, in just a few verses, they've now been hit with imprisonment, interrogation, and intimidation. The very first seeds of persecution in the book of Acts. Not full-blown yet, but it started and will slowly increase now. The early church now growing through persecution. The, the blood of the martyrs will, will now become the seed of the church in the book of Acts. And listen, if you're a Christian today, don't be shocked if you taste persecution as well. Don't be shocked at that. Peter will later write in the book of 1 Peter, do not be surprised at the fiery trial that comes to tempt you as if some strange thing were happening to you. Don't be shocked at the persecution. Jesus did not promise you just prosperity and health as some preachers will tell you. He promised persecution. This, this, this persecution we see in the book of Acts this is our story. We are connected to this story. This is our king. This, this, this is our, our story. Jesus said this in John 15, 20. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And man, don't, don't be paralyzed with fear over that. Jesus did not promise to keep us from all of our trials, but he did promise to be with us in all of our trials. And thankfully, man, we, we don't see a lot of violent persecution in our land. Thankful for that, but you might get hit with milder forms of persecution in, in this country. Ostracized, cut off. Don't be surprised by that. If friends and family cut you off, if you are rejected when you cross the pain line and share Christ, don't be surprised by that. You will find hunger out there, but you will also find some mild forms of hostility in our country. You just will. Verbal jabs on social media, mocking, belittling. And Jesus would say, love your enemies. Continue to love them. Move toward your enemies in love. Share the gospel in love. But, but don't expect all your enemies to love you in return. And listen, if and when you are hit with some persecution, what, what do you do? Let me end with just a couple words here. Let me give you quickly three R words that I think we can draw from this passage here. What, what do you do if and when you are hit with, with some form of mocking or belittling or, or persecution for, for the name of Christ? Number one, Remember, remember Christ who endured the worst persecution ever for you. Taking your sin upon Himself. Taking the horrific punishment for your sin upon Himself in, in order that you through faith in Him might be freely forgiven. And forever loved by Him. Remember Christ and His persecution for you. And that will help you to endure your own persecution for Christ. 
Hebrews 12.3, God says this to persecuted Christians. He says, consider, you persecuted Christians, consider Christ, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your own persecution. That's one thing. Remember Christ and his persecutions for you. And number two, number one, uh, remember number two, remain. Remain strong by the grace of God in the face of your persecution. Maintain your posture of love for those who might be persecuting you. Don't return evil for evil, the Bible says, but return good for evil. Jesus says if someone takes your cloak, give them your shirt too. If they force you to go one mile with them, go two miles with them. And continue to stand. Remain strong for Christ. There was an early Christian leader named Polycarp who was actually discipled by this man, John, here. And Polycarp, after following Christ for many years, now an old man, he was dragged into the Roman Colosseum before thousands of hostile people, and he was commanded to renounce Christ. And here was this old man's reply. Eighty-six years I have been Christ's servant, and he has done me no wrong. How can I now blaspheme my king? Who saved me. And when they then came to nail Polycarp to the stake to burn him, he said this, Leave me as I am, for the one who gives me strength to endure the fire will also give me strength to remain at the stake unmoved without being secured by nails. So they just tied Polycarp to the stake and burned him alive holding fast to the stake even after the ropes were burned away. Set your heart to remain firm in your persecution and trust the Spirit to help you to do it. Trust the Spirit to give you boldness in your persecution. You won't have it right here, but in the moment, the Spirit will supply it. Trust the Spirit to give you words in your persecution. Remember, remain, and last, if and when you're persecuted, rejoice. Because here's the thing, every hostile word or blow that you receive in this life on account of Christ, Jesus sees it. And Jesus will reward you. Jesus says this in Luke 6.22, Blessed are you, when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, great is your reward in heaven. Polycarp, the second his eyes closed in death, was rewarded greatly by the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be too. For every blow or a hostile word you receive in the name of Jesus, He will reward you. So man, persecution, it will come. My prayer is that God will give all of us the grace, the grace in our persecution to remember, remain, and rejoice. Father, it is no light thing to talk about 
persecution. To talk about persecution when we know our brothers and sisters around the world are being brutally killed for professing the name of Jesus. It's no light thing. And yet, Lord God, it is so good for us to see in the Bible that it is not some random coincidental thing. That You, Lord Jesus, You promised it would come. You have foreseen every blow that comes to Your people. And we are simply following You, Lord Jesus. The One who suffered and went before us has now called us down a road of suffering, of persecution. And Father, we would just say we need Your help. I know there are those here today, they have felt the sting of some milder forms of persecution. People here who have stood up for You, Lord Jesus, and have been mocked, belittled, put down, laughed at, rejected. You see it, Lord Jesus. You see every pain. You see every sting. You see every single wound. You see the fear that's now there. When you're hit once, you, you don't want to be hit again. And I pray for those who have felt it that you would, you would strengthen them now. Heal them and encourage them. That you would embolden them again to stand. Father, I pray for those who may have run in persecution. They, they felt the fear that was out there and they hid Your name, Lord Jesus. And the guilt and shame that's now there. And I just thank You, Lord Jesus, that You died even for that. And there's no, no more condemnation in You, Lord Jesus. And just as Peter ran and was restored, I just pray You'd restore those who feel as if they've run at times in the face of fear. And Father, we would just join together as a church body and say in, in our world here, in the East Metro, the Twin Cities, things look pretty easy at times. Father, help us not to be seduced by the easiness of things around us. We have a real enemy. And Father, we need You. We need boldness to continue to go out. And we need, Lord, we need boldness to continue when we, when we do taste a little hostility. Will You please help us? And Father, we do thank You for it. Thank You for the truth of Your Word that cuts through. There's so much junk that's spoken today that's not true. Thank You, Lord. Be with us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, Amen.